Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing well. So for those who haven't dipped their toe into the self-knowledge part of this uh, conversation, um, well, strap yourself in. We're, we're going in. We're going in deep, baby. So this morning, I woke up. And it's like that old Sting did a soundtrack to an old movie, Brimstone and Treacle. It's actually pretty good. Oh, the soundtrack's great. And there's a song called, You Know, I Had the Strangest Dream. And I did. I really did have the strangest dream this morning. I'll just tell you about it because, frankly, the dream is about you. The dream is about you. Now, in this dream, I was in this crazy, chaotic business arena. You know, a bunch of young bucks uh, hopped up on caffeine and ambition and brilliance, uh, were making something cool, making something great. And um, I don't know, maybe it's because I've been watching Silicon Valley and it's been dredging up memories of my own days uh, in the software entrepreneurial field, which I loved. Uh, But uh, I I had this dream about being around. I wasn't working for, I wasn't sure exactly why I was there, maybe consultancy kind of thing. Last night uh, in the Week in Review show, I, I was talking just about how like nobody ever asks people for advice these days. It's pretty rare. I mean, I've navigated a lot in my life and people don't sort of call me up and say, hey, how did you do this? How did you do that? Um, It's just, it's a funny kind of thing. We've given up on the wisdom of elders and uh, as a consequence, we get a lot of originality, creativity, but we also have to reinvent the wheel a whole bunch of times as well. So yeah, these were young guys and they were charismatic guys and um it was a brainiac fest for sure i remember that in the dream there was this guy you could tell really good looking i mean if you've ever seen you know stubble on young guys looks cool stubble on old guys just makes them look homeless but um if you've ever seen a really good looking guy who's been in the woods for a while like he comes back and it's like damn (laughs) still good looking it's like it's like those if you get a model who makes one of those goofy faces it's like you can tell when the Rubber mask snaps back to normal. She's a good-looking uh, woman. I remember there was this guy at the table. He was really good-looking, but he had a big black beard that he'd kind of grown in to hide his chiseled features, I get hoping that he'd be taken more seriously and not relegated to, I don't know, sales or something because he was good-looking. And it was a, it was a, there was wild energy in, in the whole area. And what that was was something that I call momentum confidence. Momentum confidence. That's confidence based on success that is to some degree accidental, but for which you take personal pride. And the momentum confidence is giddy and very risky. Momentum confidence. So um, the, the way it works is um, if you're in the academic field, whether you get published or not the first time is to a large degree, or at least to some degree, accidental. You know, you you happen to have the right contact with the right person. He happens or she happens to really like what it is that you're doing. Maybe it's part of a personal thing that they're really into or whatever. So you get published. That's to some degree accidental. Because you got published the first time, well, it gets a lot easier to get published the second time. And then you get this momentum confidence. And uh, it is because, you know, it's the dominoes. That first one is a crab. The second one come down a lot easier. And this momentum confidence of leaping from success to success 
you know, like if you're an actor and you just look right for that particular role and you're, you're a decent enough actor, well, you get that role and then you, you kind of bounce to other ones and there is this kind of momentum confidence. Not everyone who succeeds is prey to this momentum confidence, but all success has to some degree this momentum confidence. And I know for myself, uh, when I first started doing this show about 10 years ago, momentum confidence had a lot to do with it. I had a lot of very positive feedback, a lot of very enthusiastic support, and uh, made some great friends through the show and um, still have some. So there is this momentum confidence. However, momentum confidence um, is when you mistake accidental fortune for personal virtue. Now, the thing about accidental fortune is that it's accidental and you're fortunate, which means things can change. Can you weather a um, a recession? Can you weather a lot of people saying no to you? Can you weather um, a problem with your infrastructure? You know, your server fails, you lose some code. Can you weather a key employee um, leaving to start his or her own company, right? Can you weather the inevitable vagaries and ups and downs of life? If you have momentum confidence, then when that momentum breaks, as it always does, right? Life is never a steady line upward. Can you weather that? Well, a lot of people who think that it is their personal virtue that they've been lucky when that luck fails, as it does always, well, that often will lead to a crisis of identity, uh, to depression, to anxiety, to a feeling of being out of control. Well, the reality is, to some degree, we're all always out of control. Life happens. You're sailing high, you get sick. You're sailing high, your girlfriend has an affair. You're sailing high. You, you understand, things happen. Some of it are under our control, and I try and focus on that. I'm a free will guy, but some of it is accidental. I mean, the fact that I'm here is accidental. I got cancer a couple of years ago. A lot of good people die like dogs. A lot of bad people flourish like weeds. I'm lucky to be here. Uh, and uh, other people who weren't as lucky are not. Remembering the aspect of luck is what keeps us humble and allows us to weather the storms, right? The ups and downs of when luck turns, of when environment changes, of when betrayals happen, and so on. So there was this wild kind of confidence momentum that was going on. These guys had, um, you know, bagged a couple of big clients and their code was working and they just had this real enthusiasm, but it was a little manic and it was a little unsustainable. And I was, um, I was kind of concerned about all of that. And I was also concerned that when you're in the throes of momentum confidence, you don't really listen to people who say, you know, slow down. So I, I wanted to slow this organization environment down to have it weather itself for the long term for the inevitable ups and downs in the dream but i didn't want to provoke depression and anxiety by being you know the the old guy who says whoa whoa there bucko (laughs) you know you better build some solid foundations before you do this dubai skyscraper of uh, mania overconfidence of course is when you think you can control more than you can and anxiety is um when you think you can control less than you can. But anyway, so in a meeting, I was sort of, I think I was in there as a consultant and I was waiting to be called on, but but I wasn't being called on because they knew everything and weren't going to be told anything. So in a meeting, I sort of stood up and said, but remember, we're not selling solutions. We're not selling solutions. We're selling the possibility of solutions. And of course, the young guys, you know, who in the middle of jokes and laughter and, I don't know, Nerf guns and water pistols or whatever was going on, 
They stopped and blinked and laughed like, um, what? Oh, you know that thing on the internet where people are like, ha 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 ha, wait, wait, what? You know, when someone has said something, and I said that, and I, and I knew that they were confused and baffled and maybe even a little annoyed, as sometimes happens with this show. And I said it again more forcefully. We're not selling solutions. We're selling the potential for solutions. And the guy said, hey, hey, Mr. Fortune Cookie, you know, you want to break that down a little for us? What are you talking about? Now, to explain what I'm, when I was an entrepreneur at the beginning of my career, uh, a guy would call me up every couple of weeks and try and sell me a network printer. We had some use for it, but I couldn't quite justify it. So I like, ah, you know, let me run it past people. You know, when I was just starting out, I was, you know, kind of shy and didn't want to say no. And of course, I did a fair amount of sales and therefore I knew what it was like to be on the other side of the phone. And anyway, it's so just, so I think probably because of that, this, the printer example, it's not a great example, but, but anyway, it came up in my mind and I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm not going to embellish the dream. <laughs> I have to have fidelity to the dream itself because everything is meaningful. Dreams are very, very important. And so I said, um, let's say we're a printer company. What are we selling? Printing, <laughs> hard copies, you know. I said, no, no, we're not selling printers. We're not selling printing. We're selling the possibility of printing, you understand? We're selling the possibility of printing. So if you buy a printer from us, and if you take care of the printer, and if you don't drop it or break it, and if you keep it inked, <clears throat> and if you keep it maintained, and if you keep it oiled, and if you keep it stocked with paper, and if you keep the network connections <clears throat> all tickety-boo, then you get a hard copy, right? You see, we're not selling printers because nobody buys printers just to stick them in the basement. What they're buying is hard copies. What they're buying is the capacity to print something out and have it signed or whatever it is, right? <clears throat> or for people over 60, printing it out, scanning it, faxing it, and then putting it in an envelope. Anyway, and <clears throat> this was important. And there was a pause where everyone in the company understood what I was saying at a deep level. And it is important. And please understand, this is what I was saying in the dream. In other words, what the dream is saying to me and what the dream wants me to say to you, right? Remember, this is going to sound mystical, but it's really, really not. There are things within us. There are truths within us far older than we are. You know, we're the snowflake on the iceberg, nine-tenths of which is under the ocean, right? Our... Right, our top of the brain, the rational center of the brain, this is a very, very new addition to billions of years of evolution, cellular, lizard brain, amygdala, hypothalamus. So there are truths within us that vastly predate us. There are facts and perspectives and realities within us that vastly predate us. Our conscious mind has a great strength and a great weakness, which is the rejection of reality, the rejection of sense data. It's great to reject sense data. Sense data makes the world look flat. It's a sphere. Sense data makes the sun and the moon look the same size. They're not. Sense data is our perspective from, you know, bipedal, bald apes at ground level. So we have the capacity to reject sense data, which is why we get science and reason and philosophy, and this is why we can send probes to Jupiter and, and so on. So we have the capacity to reject mere sense data, to reject immediate empiricism, build concepts out of what we get, right? 
which is a great strength, but there's a great weakness, which is we get to reject reality. You understand? Science and insanity are two sides of the same coin. Reason and anti-rationality are two sides of the same coin. Both of them are rejection of immediate sense data. One is for the sake of principles, the other is for the sake of ego defense. And, or false ego defense. So this great strength we have is a great weakness, is kind of a cliche, but it's really, really true. And so there are truths within us that far predate us. You know the old statement of Horatio, uh, the old statement of uh, Hamlet, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. There's real truth in that, which is why self-knowledge is so important. We cannot merely reason our way through things. We cannot really muscle our way through. There is a lizard brain deep within us that is constantly trying to bring us back to base reality, base physical sense reality, the body and the soul, the flesh and the mind, the brain, and the consciousness. The consciousness takes us to the stars. The body and the brain keep us rooted in reality. These two things are essential for wisdom, for the truths that matter, right? There are truths that are inconsequential, that are truths that are misleading, that are truths that are completely falsified and not truths, but presented as truths, and there are truths that save us all if we accept them. And a lot of times when we're over in our head, they come from, the body, they come from. The subconscious, they come from dreams. Attempting to wake us up, right? We go to sleep. So that we can wake up sometimes from dreams. So these guys pause like, okay, so what, what was I saying? What was the dream? What does the dream want me to tell you? What does the dream want me to tell you? It, it wants me to tell you, I think. And, and again, dreams are kind of disco balls you can look at them in a number of ways but and let me know what you think in the comments below but it, it kind of makes sense right if someone's selling you a car they're not selling you a car nobody buys a car usually to you know i guess jay leno accepted but nobody buys a car <clears throat> seinfeld too just to stick it in a basement and cover it in a car bra right you, you buy a car <clears throat> to get somewhere you buy a car it's like saying well i want to buy a ticket to that airplane and somebody sells you a ticket to an airplane but it's a ticket to an airplane that Left 20 years ago, right? You don't want to buy a ticket to an airplane. You don't want to get on a plane. You want to get to your destination. Right? The airplane is not selling you an airplane ride. The airplane is selling you the destination, the access to the destination in a fast way. People who sell you cars are not selling you cars. They're selling you convenient and easy access to your destinations. You understand, right? It's important. It's important because if you think you're selling people a solution, then you are imagining you are in too much control of the outcome. Like, so if you sell someone a printer and they never unbox it and they never plug it in, and so then they, they don't get the hard copy. Or, or if they plug it in and s- create weird settings and, and don't use the right paper and buy cheap ink, some substitute ink, and, and then it smears and it smudges and it crumples and A4 load letter, what does that mean? Right? Well, then you have failed, right? I mean, as an organization, you've sold them the printer, but you've not been able to get to the printing, which is the point. We are dependent on the integrity of those who consume our services. You understand? We cannot sell solutions. We can only sell the possibility of solutions. 
So a lot of the guys just thought this was like old guy yakety yakety blah blah, right? I understand. It seems like, oh, what's the point? Does it really matter? Let's just go sell some printers. Now, the CEO of the company thought that I was onto something really important and he wanted me to go to another meeting. I think it was where the salespeople were. And he pulled me into this other meeting, but there was a speech that was already going on. And I, it was, again, this kind of momentum confidence. Ooh, the pride that goeth before the fall. So I just, the, 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 it was a big conference table, everyone was sitting around, and there was just people, uh, so it was standing room only, and I went up to someone, kind of sat down against the wall, I sat down against the wall, and there was sort of pauses, and this person next to me was, was talking about Leonard Cohen, you know, the, the singer, like a bird on wire, it's got this really deep gravelly voice, although people have done fantastic uh, covers of his songs, uh, Neville Brothers, Bird on a Wire is amazing. And, you know, everyone and their dog is covered. Hallelujah and so on. And he died just a little while ago now, if I remember rightly. He'd always struck me as kind of nihilistic and uh, hedonistic, right? Death of a ladies man and so on. And so I, in the dream, somebody was talking about Leonard Cohen. And uh, I kind of imitated his singing in the break in the conversation and people People laughed, and then I made some joke about, you know, the Leonard, Leonard Cohen's voice and lyrics. They, they touch you so deeply that the art cops can actually come up to you and ask you where, show, show me where on the doll his songs touched you, and you say, the soul and, and the heart. And people were sort of laughing at that. And that comes out of a joke that uh, I made in my April Fool's uh, video a couple of days ago. And so then the CEO wanted me to give this speech about not selling solutions, but on the poss- only the possibility of solutions. When I got up to to talk about there are no solutions, there's only the possibility of solutions, I wasn't doing a very good job. I was like, mm, well, I could start it this way, I could start it. And of course, these guys were in the mania of momentum confidence. So the CEO kind of jumped up and he took over, right? He said, oh, I know, I know what he's trying to, what he's trying to say is this, right? And now listen, <laughs> when it comes to speaking, I'm I'm not too bad. And I was kind of annoyed. Like, this is kind of my wheelhouse. This is my idea. I should be the one presenting it. But then <laughs> it was kind of funny. And and it, this just shows me, you know, you have one perspective, you're annoyed. You have another perspective and you're happy. I mean, isn't that, isn't that funny? I mean, I, I remember when I was younger, I was going to meet a friend of mine. And we were going to meet at uh, 7 o'clock. And I got there at 7 o'clock, and he didn't get there till till 8. And I was really annoyed. Sitting in a, we met at a subway, and I was just sitting there, grimy, gross. And he's like, no, 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 I said 8, right? I said, no, we said 7. He said 8. I pulled up my piece of paper, and I said, look, it, oh. Oh, man, I'd written down 8. For some, it got switched in my brain to 7. And so I went from annoyed to apologetic. Like, I'm sorry. I was like, dude, we didn't I wrote down eight. It got in my head. It was seven. I didn't check my page. You understand, right? So I went from annoyed to apologetic like that, right? Just because I got a new piece of impatience. So when the CEO got up and started talking about this, we don't sell solutions. We sell the potential for solutions, which makes you humble, right? And, and also allows you to focus on follow-up. You know, like if you're selling a printer, people aren't using it right. You need to know that. You need to help them through it. It keeps you humble. But now the CEO had taken off my idea, was giving my, my speech, and I was annoyed. 
But then I realized, and I, I made a joke, and I said, well, actually, I've just demonstrated something else, which is called delegation, right? which is the fact that um, he was taking over what I did. I had empowered him to communicate the idea, right? Do you understand? I was not necessary to communicate the idea in fact, it was better if someone else did it because he was their CEO. He'd be sticking around. He would, you know, they'd follow what he said more seriously. It was actually better for him to give this speech about there being no solutions. So I delegated. I reproduced the idea in the mind of another who could communicate it more effectively than I could. It's amazing. And I went from annoyed to good. That's the point. You know, I'm telling you, one of you guys out there, or maybe a whole bunch of you, one day, you are going to stand up, you are going to rise up, and you are going to make videos that blow mine away. I'm going to be like a droplet of water in the wake of your speedboats, uh, and initially I'm going to be like, ah, generational wheel of life, I'm being cycled behind. <laughs> I'm going to get some blankets and some reruns of Matlock and uh, take up my uh, peppermint-flavored tea in an old folks' home. But that's the point. I mean, obviously, philosophy should never live or die with any particular individual, but should be a replicated process in the mind and minds of the world. And whoever's better at this than I am, God love you, hurry up and get moving. <laughs> go go make it. So along with this, you know, and there, there's, there, there are, in fact, no solutions. I mean, this is really, and I don't mean this, this is not despair. There's no solutions that everyone's going to agree on to, like, essential important issues. There's no solutions that are only a benefit with no cost. There are no solutions that are going to please everyone. There's no solutions that everyone's going to like or, or you understand that everything is going to be, everything is cost benefits. Everything is cost benefits, right? I like my food. It tastes good. It's fatty, sweetie, salty. Well, it may be bad for me, right? Benefit, cost. I want to lose weight. That's a benefit, but it costs me uh, happiness and, and uh, sensual pleasure in the here and now. Everything, you go to work, well, you don't get to relax, often, right? You relax, you don't get to make money. Everything is a cost and a benefit. And we're all weighing these possibilities, which is why, you know, this idea that there's a perfect solution, there's a perfect love, there's a perfect job, and, and we are damned by our being barred by the grim barriers of reality from a perfection that exists in our mind only to torture us with discontent and falling shortness and so on. Everything is a compromise. Everything is... Um, win-lose, there are no solutions that you can come up with that everyone's going to like, especially in an increasingly divided world. This doesn't mean there's no truth, no virtue, no objectivity or anything like that. I just, I want people to not make the mistakes that I've made, which is sailing forth into the public discourse armed with truth, reason, joy, evidence, humor, eloquence, and charisma, and then wonder why there's such significant blowback. Ah, ah, right, because I cannot sell solutions. I can sell the possibility of solutions. Ah, you sell solutions, but there are no solutions. Well, sure. Doesn't mean nothing is better or worse. But I think a lot of people, because of the momentum confidence, sail into public discourse, hit the blowback and back down. And I think uh, everything that is worthwhile is a process, not an end goal, right? You know, it's that old cliche, life's a journey, not a destination. Everything worthwhile is a process. Evolution is a process. Life is a process. Life is not a snapshot, right? 
Everything worthwhile is a process. Thinking is a process. Conclusions are great. Don't get me wrong. Conclusions are great. And you need to be able to build brick by brick to get some cathedral of virtue in your mind. But it's a process. And some foundational things that I believe for many years were overturned by more evidence, more better arguments and so on, more rational arguments. So everything is a process. Everything that is worthwhile is a process. And if your ego is invested in conclusions rather than your mind being invested in the process, you will inevitably become rigid and defensive and be a barrier to the solution because the solution is not a conclusion. The solution is a process. You understand? And this is why the free market, which is a process, not a conclusion, right? Central planning or the government saying do this, do that, that's a conclusion. Well, I know how many loaves of bread are needed for the population and I know how everything should be farmed and I know which companies should be given money and which companies should not. And I know what are the facts uh, that are relevant to social situations. And I know that the welfare state is the best way to solve poverty. And I know uh, poverty. And I know all of these things. They are, they're all conclusions and they're enforced as conclusions generally are by force. Freedom is a process. Uh, the free market is a process. The free market is humility saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how many loaves of bread should be baked. I don't know how to make a pencil, right? This is famous... Uh, uh, I pencil essay that nobody knows how to make a pencil even nobody no one person knows even how to make a pencil but some central bureaucrat knows how to solve the problem of poverty by taking money by force and got nothing to do with buying votes folks right I mean we know we know multiculturalism is a diversity is a strength we know we know that no the facts indicate otherwise that diversity destroys neighborhoods but if you have a conclusion rather than the process you become dogmatic and if you have political power destructive. And so I think the dream is a reminder to me, right? the, the, as we bucking up around 600,000 subscribers and the show is doing very well and it's put the brakes on momentum confidence. <sighs> ah, don't take my drug. <laughs> but it does and it's, it's right that it should. So I think what my dream wants me to tell you is something like this. This is not a show. I know I refer to it as a show, but I'm happy to be corrected by my lizard brain. I can't. I can't teach anything. I can't teach thought. I can't teach virtue or rationality or courage or integrity or anything like that. I can't teach any of that stuff. Right? When you go to a show, you go to a show and you pay to be a show because you're not in the show. Right? Nobody charges Freddie Mercury when he would get up and sing people. They pay him, in fact, right? Because... Other people can do it better, right? So this is the difference between a show and philosophy. And I'm going to have to bite my tongue and endure countless corrections as I habitually use the word, but it's not a show. You know, you're in the army, you're in basic training, and they're showing you a bunch of stuff. Here's how to break down your weapons, right? Here's how to climb this barrier. Here's how to get through this mud. Here's how, like, they're showing you a whole bunch of stuff. But it's not a show. Like you go and consume it and it's a memory. If you think that basic training is a show, you're probably going to go out and get killed in a war. If, they, if you understand that they're giving you the tools to stay alive, to be victorious in your battle, but it's up to you to implement an exercise, then you understand it's not a show. Right? You go see a singing, a dancing show, it's a show. It's not trying to keep you alive in the upcoming singing and dancing wars. <laughs> you understand, right? 
And you go to a show because you're not in the show. There's a separation. But philosophy is not a show. Philosophy is not a show. I can't teach you anything. I can show you some tools. I can give you the form and the content of good arguments and clear thinking and critical thinking and rationality. I can give you the form and the example. And I can constantly uproot prior perceptions for the sake of better arguments, right? My prior perceptions are plowed under by new evidence, by better arguments, because I need to show you that it's a process. And people say, oh, Steph, you've changed your mind. Of course, the mind exists to be changed. You understand? If the mind didn't change, it would be a skull. A skull doesn't change. <laughs> a skull doesn't change. Give a skull a new argument, it's still your skull. You don't want your body to be fundamentally an anti-conscious, inanimate piece of biological matter. It needs to change because it's a process. It's a process. You don't jump into a pool and do this and think you're a swimmer. You have to move to swim. Swimming is a process of motion within yourself, in your arms, in your legs, and through the water. It's a process. You can't teach a process. You can't teach a process. You can give examples. You can give principles. But in the already started fundamental battle of ideas, this is the basic training. It might keep your culture alive. But it won't do any of those things. It won't give you the tools you need to survive and flourish as a thinker, as a free person. Unless you take it and do it yourself. The replication of the process, not the transmission of conclusions, is the point. You understand? It's the point. I cannot solve any problems. You know, if you go and watch a dietitian give a presentation, it doesn't cause you to lose any weight. You have to implement the diet yourself. You watch a workout video, it doesn't strengthen any of your muscles. You have to do it yourself. It's a show designed to stimulate. It's a demonstration rather than a show. A demonstration to help stimulate different behavior on your part. Just as new arguments and better evidence is a stimulation of better behavior or more rational behavior or the following of more rational principles on my part. So this is a demonstration. This is basic training for the war of ideas, says the dream. This is not a show. Do you understand? <laughs>